0: Uh, It's not the time of year we think of Christmas stories, I'll grant you, but I was thinking of Charles Dickens' Christmas story as I was preparing to teach this morning. You remember it's the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, and he's a guy with tons and tons of wealth, but he's got a really empty, vacuous life, and his heart is kind of as small as the little black cinders left from the coal in his undersized heater there with Bob it. You know, the story, of course, is the story of his reclamation. It's his redemption. And at the end of the story, he's learned that his wealth is not in his wealth, so to speak, but it's in his ability to live free and generously and liberally towards others. And this morning, we're going to finish a short three-part series on how to live life well and uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about if you want to live life successfully, live like you're dying. And the thought there was, we're mortal, life short, what would your epitaph be? If you died today, what would your epitaph be? What would you like it to be when you see Christ face to face? What will He say to you? What would you like Him to be able to say to you? If you're going to live life successfully, live like you're dying. Then last week we said, if you want to live life successfully in the short time we have on the earth, to at least consider, this required some a little bit more finesse or prayer-related application, but consider living life like a tree. That is that in contrast to most folks in our culture in which mobility is seen inherently as a good, that is we, we trade geography and jobs and churches and people and families to think that maybe God wants to plant us right where we're at that we put roots down deep, we grow up, and we are a blessing to those around us, that we invest long-term in the place and the people we're at. This morning, I want to encourage you, in order to live life well and successfully, Jerry, to live like a liberal, to live like a liberal. If you hear that term today, and this is a cheap trick, I take it, but if I say to this crowd, live like a liberal, everybody wonders what's going on, then I have your interest, it's a cheap trick, but there it is. You know, liberal today, if we say he's a liberal or he is liberal as an adjective, we're really probably describing somebody of a particular political persuasion who tends to think more government is a good thing or government's a solution to more things than someone labeled a conservative might think. I want to go back a little further, though, in the use of this word as far as our understanding this morning. If you go back to the Latin, liberal means free, liber it means free. And originally when you described someone as liberal or something was liberal it really had to do with this thought. Remember in history in places and ages where there was servitude and slavery to be a free person was kind of a big thing. So if you were liberal or if your course of study was liberal it meant that it was suited for someone who was a free person. A liberal arts education was in contrast to someone who was going to be a blue-collar worker, for instance, and work with their hands. It was an an education suited to someone who was free or financially freer than most, or in society, someone of a higher, freer standing. So originally, liberal, we get the term liberate from that same word. It meant to be free. And then it also came to mean as a secondary use It came to mean generous or free with what you have at your disposal. And that's really what we're talking about this morning. So as we use the term this morning, to live like a liberal is to live freely. It's to live unconstrained by unhealthy ties to the things of this world that we use for a short time but give up when we pass away. That's what we're talking about this morning. In order to live life well... We need to live liberally, freely, generously with open hands towards God on one hand and receiving the good things He wants for us and then secondarily with open hands towards others as well who may benefit from the things God's given us. To live like a liberal means to have an attitude of thanksgiving towards God for liberally blessing and giving to us and then generously and liberally giving to others as well It also means this negatively. It means to refuse to try to satisfy your soul with objects and wealth, with material things on this earth because your soul and your heart are commodities, if we can say it that way, too large to be restricted to things or possession or wealth. You know, originally as God created mankind on the earth. There would be no problem with the use of things in the world. But because we're sinners, we tend to take anything that's good and we sort of twist it. So even though things in themselves are amoral, wealth and things we use, they're not inherently good or bad. But because our hearts are deficient, we tend to take the things God means to bless us with and we turn the things into idols. And we try to find significance or safety or value, or freedom in the things instead of from the one who gives them. And that's what we need to avoid. Frank Herbert, uh, some of you may recognize, science fiction writer from the 70s and 80s said, Wealth is a tool of freedom, but the pursuit of wealth is the way to slavery. And that's what we're saying this morning. We want to be free. We don't want to be enslaved to the good things God gives. We're going to look... This morning in the Scriptures, primarily, we're going to jump around quite a bit back and forth, but primarily between Solomon in the Old Testament and Paul in the New. If you want to, you could put one finger in Ecclesiastes and one in 1 Timothy. But starting with Solomon in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, verse 8, he said this, "...all things are wearisome. Man's not able to tell it or, or describe all the ways in which life is wearisome or vacuous." The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. Solomon, and we'll see more of this in just a bit, remember he has a rare opportunity to experiment with how much stuff can make a person happy. If I can lay my hands on all the things that I want to, that wealth can acquire, how much does it take to make me happy? Well, he starts Ecclesiastes by saying this, the eye is never satisfied. The ears never satisfied. We tend to think that life's a cup. And we're going to pour some good thing into it. And we'll feel full. And we'll be at peace. And we'll feel free and adequate. But Solomon says, life's not a cup. You're not a cup. You're a sieve. And no matter how much of the good stuff you pour in, you'll always feel empty. You'll never feel full up from the stuff you can get on this earth. The eyes never satisfied, the ears never satisfied. He goes on in chapter 2 and says this. He describes his experiment about how to live life well on the earth. And in part, he says this. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. By the way, that's a key phrase here, for myself. I've got all the good stuff and I'm going to spend it on myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. He's just saying all the good stuff I've got. If we translated this today, we might in our economy say, I've got a new house. I've got a new car. I've got a new vacation home. I've got a better vacation. We might say, perhaps more mundane, I've got DVDs stacked across my shelf at home. Or I've got thousands of songs of music on my computer. You can fill in the blanks, whatever would be significant there for you. But he said, all that my eyes desired I didn't refuse. I've got wealth, I can spend it any way I want. Anything I saw that I wanted, I got it. I didn't withhold from my heart any pleasure. My heart was pleased because of my labor. He says though at verse 11, thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity And striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. So, the guy that can conduct this really good experiment, because there's no end to his wealth, he can get all the good stuff that was to be had. He would be, I suppose, equivalent of a Bill Gates or who's the guy from uh, Omaha? Buffett. He'd be on that wealth status. Anything I want, I can buy. If money can buy it, I can buy it. That's Solomon. And at the end of his experiment, he says, you can get all the stuff possible. And at the end of it all, you'll feel empty. You won't feel free and fold up. You'll feel empty and vacuous because things cannot satisfy. I used to watch uh, at the fire station VH1 biographies or stories. Have you guys seen any of those? I don't know if they still run them or not. I love them. And I love them for this reason. They were all the same story. I kid you not. I don't know how many I heard. They were all the same story. Different faces. Different times. But they were all about musicians. And this was their story. I was a, a normal person. I made it big. I got famous and I got wealth. I had all the money to make myself happy and free and satisfy my life the way I thought I would. Wealth would do it. So sex, drugs, alcohol, vacations, travel, food, just like Solomon. All the stuff money can buy, I bought it. And my life descended in this spiraling to an abyss and I fell apart entirely. That's their story. And for some of them, it ends there because they overdosed and that was that. For others, though, they realize at the end of this downward spiral that stuff can't satisfy. This They could have read Solomon. It's the same story. But they thought if I get the wealth, then I can buy the things which will satisfy my soul and my life. I'll feel free, significant. I'll be filled up. This will be good. And they all found out the same thing. By the way, you see the same things typically. We sort of congratulate lottery winners today, you know, in our culture. Who wins the lottery? But you know what happens to most of those winners, don't you? Uh, They bankrupt. I think it's over 90% of lottery winners bankrupt. Why? Why? Because again, the formula in, the, in our head goes like this. If I have money, I will be happy. If I have money, therefore I'm free. And with this freedom I can get all the things that will make me feel up, filled up and happy. And so the lottery winners get that money and they spend it on anything their eye desires or their ear wants to hear. And they spend themselves into bankruptcy literally. This is the norm. And it's all based on this faulty assumption that the wealth and the things will make me happy. That I'm the cup, I just need a little bit more water poured in. No, I'm the sieve, and, and you can pour all day long. The quantity doesn't matter, the quality doesn't matter. Pour all day long, it'll never fill your soul. It never can, never will. Our life becomes small to the degree that we see it as the sum of our commodities the things that we can put our hands on or measure. Your soul can't be reduced to the size of your house, what your credit card limit is, what you've got in your savings account or your retirement account. I'm convinced that we would live life well, we Christians, if we really got over this hump or this hurdle And really chose to believe that things and wealth cannot make us free. They cannot fill us up. They cannot give any ultimate satisfaction. If we could get over that hump, it would be doing a lot and saying a lot. And of course, you know, any of the polls you look at that compare lifestyles between Christians and non-Christians, there's just not a dime's worth of difference. Which means basically Christians tend to see things as the world does. We've got to get over that hump if we want to live successfully. Back to Solomon, this one from Proverbs twenty-eight, twenty-two. He says there, A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and doesn't know what will come upon him. We tend to think uh, wealth is not moral or immoral. That would be true. But Solomon says, A man with an evil eye is chasing hard after wealth. Wealth for its own sake. And the funny thing is, he doesn't know what will happen. He doesn't know if his chase will actually provide the wealth. And even if it does, he doesn't know if the wealth will actually make him happy. But that's his aim, that's his goal, and that's where he's heading. Back in Ecclesiastes 5 again, this is the guy speaking who had it all. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. He who loves abundance will not be satisfied with its income. This too is vanity. You love money, you think that's life, freedom, liberty. It's not. Verse 13, he says, This is a grievous evil I've seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. He came naked from his mother's womb. He's going to return as he came. He'll take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. The rich is hoarding his wealth to his hurt. Now think about this for just a second. Most of us, and I'm, I'm in the same ballpark, we tend to think, Lord if I had X dollars more, I'd kind of be over the hump and life would be good. It'd be okay, you know. I'd be free. I'd be okay. Solomon says, though, not only do you never get there, but let's just say that God blessed any of us with a million dollars today. Before we get it, we think, if I had that little bit more, whatever that significant amount is in your mind, if I had that, life would be okay. But Solomon says, for many... We get wealth, and then before we get the wealth, what are we afraid of and worried about? We're worried about uh, the food and clothes, the mortgage bills, right? Having enough money to pay for the things we need. But once we get the wealth, what does he say we do? Now we're afraid of losing it. Does this make sense? We're fearful before we get the wealth because we're not sure we'll have what we need. We're fearful after we get the wealth because we're afraid we'll lose the wealth. Either way, if your eyes are focused on the wealth and the stuff, you're going to lose, coming or going. Paul says the same thing pretty much in the New Testament. This is in 1 Timothy. Chapters 4 and 6 are the ones that that have uh, comments on the topic we're in this morning. But in chapter 6 he says this, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Paul says, just like Solomon, if you make the accumulation of wealth your aim, it sets you up for hardships and harm, for enslavement, not for liberty, for freedom and for real wealth he continues this is a verse that's often misquoted 1 Timothy 6:10 the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs the love of money this is when i say to myself money's the thing wealth's the thing accumulating stuff is the thing and then i'll be okay instead of looking to god we idolize the possessions, the wealth, the stuff, whatever it is. Now, I'm not covering another huge base today, which I'm sure you're aware of, which is uh, Scripture talks a whole lot about money. And generally, I think because it's so entwined with where our hearts are at and, and therefore how we live. But the Scripture has tons to say about things about saving up, being prudent and wise and planning ahead for needs. We're, That's a whole study, that's a book, that series of books. We're not really covering those bases this morning. We're talking more about our heart attitude towards money, towards things and stuff in a way that leaves us free or not free in living. So that's for another day. The Bible, though, warns us about making money and possessions our aim. And when money is our God, we are not free, the Scripture says, we are enslaved. Desiring money as an end in itself does not give liberal status, free status to us. It enslaves us. And the God that is very generous, which we'll talk about here in just a moment, He doesn't want enslavement for us. He wants real freedom for us. The way to live like a liberal and live freely isn't to become, though, an ascetic and renounce all possessions, by the way, for sure. And wealth doesn't make me sinful and poverty doesn't make me spiritual. Uh... No one should misunderstand. I am not advocating poverty. Uh, Kathy and I, you know, we've lived our days where you don't have two nickels. And I'll take a little bit more any day. I'm not advocating poverty. Poverty does not make us spiritual. There's no inherent wealth personally in poverty. I'm not saying that at all. But we're called to enjoy the good things God gives us, give Him thanks, and then pass on those things to others. That's kind of the big picture about living liberally, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 10, 8, Freely you've received, freely give. I think there's a song with that phrase in it. Let me highlight two sides of this. First this, God gives us freely so we can enjoy things. You know, oftentimes the world, and Christians too, and and I'm sure myself at times too, when we think about God and what we have and what we don't have, God is the cosmic killjoy who's withholding something that would really be good for us. Because he's small-minded and he doesn't want us to enjoy things. But you know, the truth is exactly the opposite. If you think everything in life that you think is nice or lovely, pleasurable, pleasant, enjoyable, God made all those things. And when he created man, he created us with the capacity to enjoy the things he made. So God is not a cosmic killjoy. He's really generous. He's really liberal in his attitude towards us. And he gives us all these good things to enjoy. If you can enjoy it and it's not illicit, God made it for you, and he made you to be able to enjoy it. So that's the front side of this, of living, living liberally. Back to Solomon in Ecclesiastes 5, he says this: here's what I've seen to be good and fitting. This is, by the way, this is biblical doctrine. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. This isn't eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. That's different. Different setting altogether. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. If you told other people that's biblical doctrine, would they believe you? But that's, that's Solomon's conclusion. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself in your labor in which you toil the few years of life God's given us on the earth. This is his reward. The enjoyment we get from the fruits of our labors, this is something good. It's built into creation. It's what God gives us. It's a good thing. He means us to enjoy it. He says, Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, He's given or empowered him to eat from them and receive His reward and rejoice in His labor. This is the gift of God. To be able to enjoy good food and good times and celebration and holidays or just celebrating to celebrate, these things are good gifts from God who gives those things to us to enjoy and appreciate. There's no downside there. Back to the New Testament, Paul again in 1 Timothy 6.17 says this, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. If you were fixing your hope on the uncertainty of riches in the last two years, your hopes have probably taken a huge decline. People have lost thousands, millions, and billions of dollars. So Paul says in contrast to that, Fix your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. We can live liberally because God intentionally blesses us with good things to enjoy. If I realize that things can't fill me up but God can, then I can enjoy the things and give God thanks and it's all upside. God gives to us richly, freely because He's generous and He wants us to enjoy those things. So part of living liberally, freely, is being on the receiving end of God's generosity. He's a good God. He's generous. He's free. He's liberal in His giving. And He wants to give to us liberally. And He wants us to enjoy that. All upside. The other half of that, though, is this. God wants us to give freely and give joy and helps to others also. That is, we're not an end in ourselves. We're sort of links in a chain sometimes. Or were cups that overflow into other cups, if you will. There is liberality or liberal lifestyle in giving to others as well. So in 1 Timothy 6 again, Paul says, Instruct the rich, and by the way, by biblical, historical, world standards, probably all of us in this room today are wealthy. We would qualify under this description. Instruct the rich to do good... To be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Rich in good works, generous and ready to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Paul says, if you've got wealth on this world, enjoy it and use it by giving to others generously. And he concludes by saying, in that process you end up laying hold of that which is life indeed. The wealth is not life not real life, not lasting life. But you lay hold of God when you see this process you're a part of. You've been given wealth. You turn around and give some of that wealth anyway to others and help them buy it. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, I'm just going to read a couple verses from there, but you're probably aware these are key, key passages in the New Testament on giving. And the scenario was people, Christians in Jerusalem, in and around Jerusalem were suffering persecution. They needed help. And so Paul and Timothy and others had been taking up collection from the Gentile churches. They're going to take those funds back. Paul says this in chapter 8 verse 2 about the Macedonians. He said, In a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They have poverty on one hand, but they're liberal on the other. And the Greek there means single-minded Generosity. They were determined to be a blessing to others in all the ways they could. They didn't have a lot to give. And Paul in this context says it's acceptable according to what we do have in what we have to give, not what we don't have. They didn't have a lot. But they gave liberally or freely or generously with what they did have. And then later in chapter 9 verse 11... He says to them, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality. Same thought, for this single-minded generosity or freedom in giving to others. God will give you enough so that you can turn around and be part of the way. He dispenses His provision to others as well. And last in these scriptures from Acts 20... Paul's seen a group of people, he discipled some of them, their elders and their leaders in the church. It's the last time he's going to see them. And part of his testimony to them is this, Acts 20 verse 33. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. When I was with you, my motivation never had anything to do with money or what I could get out of it or out of you. You know that these hands ministered to my own needs and the men who were with me. Some of these folks are from the Corinth area. Paul never took a dime from the Corinthian Christians. Even though he labored there for a long time, he worked, he supported himself, and others supported him. Didn't take a dime from them. He said, In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When we recognize that stuff is just stuff, and it is a way that God blesses, and that we can be a channel, or be a link in the chain of God's blessing we start getting it that we are, Jesus' words, more blessed when we give than when we receive. I love receiving, by the way. I love good food. I I love quality stuff. I love the stuff. I enjoy it. But Paul says, quoting Jesus, that you are more blessed, and and blessed is is a a big word, biblically. Um, You're happier. You're more successful. You have greater peace. You're more blessed when you are giving... Even than when you're enjoying God giving to you. So that when we can cultivate this kind of attitude, we free ourselves. If we can freely give to others, we are living a successful life, a free life, a liberal life. These are some of the applications I thought of. You guys could think of your own. I think I've got four. Uh, The first is this refuse to live like an atheist. And choose to live like a liberal. Refuse to live like an atheist. The truth is most of us live like atheists. That is we have the same worries. The people around us that don't know Christ. We live like atheists. If we know Christ. We should live liberally and freely and generously. Open hands towards God. And open hands towards others. But I know for most of us we live small worried lives. Worried that we won't have enough. If we get enough we're worried that we'll lose it. We're just like the world around us. We're not free. So just on the front end of your thinking, if it has to do with wealth or the things of this world, tell yourself, I refuse to live like an atheist. I'm going to live like a liberal instead. Part of what I do to combat this is I try to give generously, and I give things that I cherish. So I try and give generously in my finances. Another thing that I do is uh, I give books. Um, I love books. And if you go to my house, our library, our edition, it's clear that we love books. We've got a a wall that's nothing but books, bookshelves. If you go to my office, you'll see that I love books there too because one wall plus is filled with nothing but books too. And this is the thing. I love learning. I love books. I love to collect my books. My books are my friends. So what do I do? I make sure that I loan my books out. You know why? just to make sure that I remind myself people are more important than my books. My books might sit on this shelf for seven years and somebody one day can use it. And I might think to myself, they're not walking out with my friend. I'm keeping (laughs) him here. So I have to tell myself, I value my books and when I get that little thing that says, do you really want to loan that book out? I say, yeah, I really do. So I volunteer my books. Or if somebody asks me and I've got it, I loan it. I do that intentionally because I don't want to make the mistake that those books contain something that they don't. For me personally, I want to be a blessing to others. So give generously and give some of the things. You don't have to give everything away. We're not monks. We're, We're not retiring from the world. We're not saying that. But make sure that when you give, you're able to give freely. If you can't, it probably means, or it may mean, that you're tied up or your heart is tied up in something that's really too small for it. Remember that your possessions, and this it doesn't matter what, what the possessions are, houses, cars, vacations, they don't define you. They don't encompass your life. And this is a big thing. In a culture of affluence, to refuse to be defined by your level of affluence is no easy thing positively or negatively, if you have great possessions and great wealth, it doesn't make you a bigger person. And it doesn't make you a freer person. And if you have very little in the way of possessions or wealth, it doesn't make you a smaller person than you really are. Either way, the stuff is just stuff. You are who and what you are, independent of the wealth. Henry Ward Beecher said this, No man can tell whether he is rich or poor by turning to his ledger. It is the heart that makes a man rich. He is rich or poor according to what he is, not according to what he has. That's true. And I'm afraid as Christians we tend to fall into this trap that we define our worth and our value by our stuff. Entirely unbiblical. Charles Spurgeon said this in the same vein, It's not how much we have, but how much we enjoy that makes happiness. Proverbs talks a lot about this. Better is a little with peace or with happiness than feasting and great strife. If you can't be happy with a little, you won't be happy with more, guaranteed, because the stuff can't make you happy. So remember, you're not defined, you're not elevated by wealth, and you're not diminished by lack of wealth. You are who and what you are by God's doing, independent of that. Give freely, give freely, whatever that is. If it's finances, give freely. If it's stuff you have, if it's time, if it's talents, if it's abilities, give freely. Give to the church. If Lion and lamb's your home, give generously to Lion and Lamb. If there are Christian missionaries or ministries that you know God has made me aware of and I'm convinced that's where He wants me giving, give generously to those as well. Guys, do this too. Give to individuals that you know have some needs. We as a church are very intentional about trying to practice this. And as individuals, if you know someone has a need, you can give to them, whether you have an IRS write-off on your taxes or not. We as a church, we routinely give funds to people we know have a need. If we're aware that people have needs, give freely from the stuff, the money, the time, the talent, the energies, whatever it is, give those things freely to those around you. (coughs) Excuse me, and last... Take this one with a grain of salt, but I think you'll know what I mean. Make it your ambition to die empty-handed. Make it your ambition to die empty-handed. And by that I just mean this. When you die, whatever you've accumulated, you're done with it. Whatever purposes you thought it was going to serve, they're done, as far as you're concerned. So if you've heaped up a mass of wealth and you die... It's going to whatever use, other use, it's legally gonna, going to end up in. So try and die empty handed. And you could set up a trust or a will. You can include your kids and grandkids. I'm not saying avoid any of that stuff at all. I'm just saying, when you die and the stuff you accumulated has been left behind, will it serve a purpose that you think honors Christ? Will you, in a sense, die freely or liberally because you've made some provision for the wealth God had blessed you with or the things so that you knew that even in your death, those things would continue to represent your life and your liberty. Try to die empty-handed. i want to close with a short passage out of Luke's gospel. This is Luke 12. It's similar to a passage from Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. He says there, Don't seek what you will eat and what you'll drink. Don't keep worrying. All these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. That is when you worry about possessions and wealth and food, you're just like the people that don't know God. But your Father knows that you need these things. So instead, seek His kingdom and these things will be given to you. Seek His kingdom and these things will be given to you. You can build your life on this one. This one will take you down the road. Seek His kingdom first. He'll take care of the rest. Uh, When I left the fire department... It was on the Matthew version of this that I left the fire. I had a great job, great benefits, and I was coming to serve a little church and support the rest of my life with a business that I'd rather not be at. But it was that verse. You put him and his things first, he'll take care of the rest. You can live a life based on that. And check this out. He's talking to this little band of nobodies, fishermen and tax collectors. This is, he's talking to the disciples here, the little band, the twelve. And he says this, don't be afraid, little flock. Hey, little guy. You look insignificant to yourself and you look insignificant to the world around you. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father's chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Guys, you're trying to hold on to little houses and rental properties. And Jesus says, you've got a castle. You've got the, the wealth of the world and eternity. That's what God set aside for you. So don't worry, little guy. If your IRAs or your stocks are falling. God's giving you the kingdom. So sell your possessions. Give to charity. Make yourselves money belts that don't wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's it at the end of the day. If you want to live freely, your heart's got to be with Christ. It's got to be with God. Because if it's on anything smaller than Him... It's an idol. It's an image. It's not going to satisfy. You're going to be the sieve. You'll just keep pouring in and wonder, why am I never full? You'll never get full with the stuff or with the wealth. But if Christ is my treasure, then I can enjoy all the good stuff. And I can be a means of passing on some of that good stuff to others as well. So, to live life well, just some considerations. Live like you're dying. At the end of the day, what will your life have done? What will your epitaph read? What will people think or say at your funeral? Live like a tree. Live counterculture. Choose to plug into the place and the people God's planted you. Choose to remain long term, unless he makes it clear otherwise, to be a blessing, to be an encouragement and be encouraged long term in the same place with the same group. And choose to live like a liberal. To refuse to see your life or the sum of your blessings as stuff And instead, see that your heart belongs to Christ. You've got the kingdom and all eternity to come with Him. You can afford to enjoy the things He gives you here freely. And then you can turn around and freely give of those things to others as well. And that is living life like a liberal. Father, we get things turned around and backwards uh, almost every time. Our natural disposition is to distrust You. It's to base our life on fickle emotions and feelings, on thoughts from the evil one. Lord, on uh, concepts of the culture around us that doesn't know you. God, help us to be willing to live like a liberal. Uh, In fact, at the end of the day, to live like you. Generously. Forthrightly. Not consuming ourselves on things in life, but enjoying what you freely give. And then freely giving to others, Lord. Help us to understand that life, our life, our identity, isn't the stuff we accumulate. That the treasure we have, Lord, in time and eternity is Christ. The stuff will come and go. Lord, it will all burn up. But you endure forever. And those who know you endure forever. The Lord, thinks that there is abundant, everlasting, eternal, overflowing life to be found in you.